Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. What is the greatest baseball song of all time? This is a classic question of goatdom in modern sports and unanswerable riddle which won't be solved with stats and memory, but instead is solely a matter of taste. Or so you might think. For on this episode of Truly the Goats, we have the history of and story behind what is definitely, unquestionably, objectively the greatest song about baseball ever written. What's your guess? Dozens, maybe hundreds of top ten listicles on the greatest baseball song ever are out there on the internet. Here's an amalgamation of the far too many such pieces I read before this episode. In no particular order, the top ten list has a few payons to superstars like Jolton Joe DiMaggio by Nessa Brown and his orchestra. Started baseball's famous streak that's got us all aglow. He's just a man and not a freak. Jolton Joe DiMaggio. Say Hey, the Willie Mays song, written by Willard Robinson. And Dave Frischberg's surreal but alluring jazz single, Van Lingle Mongo. Johnny G, Eddie Juiced, Johnny Pesky, Thornton Lee. Danny Gardella, Van Lingo Mungo. A few rarities will usually make the list, like Bob Dylan's Catfish, written for then Oakland A's lefty pitcher Jim Catfish Hunter, and later performed by Joe Cocker. There's Bill Lee by Warren Zevon. on your ass and not at stupid things. Man, it's hard to do. But if you don't, they'll screw you. If you do, they'll screw and you. Goodbye, Mr. Ball, Goodbye by that well-known musical trio of Bing Crosby, Groucho Marx, and Hank Greenberg. Oh, goodbye, Mr. Ball, goodbye. You are gonna see an awful lot of sky. Don't hang around for Richard to open up that door. When Hankus Pankus hits you where you've never been hit before. Then there are other songs that aren't necessarily about baseball per se, i.e. Hardball by Lil Wayne. When I'm playing hardball, right. so if you want the man I'm about to pitch to me, understand I'm like Griffin, I keep him to the wall. Uh-huh. 
Bruce Springsteen's Glory Days. Finally, there are a couple of must-haves. One is Willie Mickey and the Duke, perhaps better known as Talkin' Baseball by Terry Cashman. And of course, Center Field by John Fogarty. Now that's a decent list, but none of those songs is the greatest baseball song ever. So what is? Well, the answer is after the break, but here's a hint. It's about a girl. My name is Oz Davis, and this is Truly the Goats, sports history as told through its superstars. The greatest baseball song of all time is Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Because, of course it is. Consider this. How many 110-plus-year-old songs do you know the lyrics to? How many vaudeville songs do you know the lyrics to? How many songs do the majority of Americans know the lyrics to? Or at least some of the lyrics, anyway. How many songs, never mind baseball songs, have been covered so often and inspire so many singles? And how many songs have become as ingrained into our American culture as Take Me Out to the Ball Game? Few enough to call it the GOAT of baseball songs. Take Me Out to the Ball Game was written in 1908 by Jack Norworth, the vaudeville star who'd also write Shine on Harvest Moon that same year. It was also the year in which Christy Mathewson's New York Giants were embroiled in a season-long three-way pennant race with Honus Wagner's Pittsburgh Pirates and the Chicago Cubs defending champs of Tinker to Evers to Chance. As the origin story goes, Norworth was riding the subway, perhaps to the Broadway area to perform later that evening, when he saw an advertisement for the Giants playing at Polo Grounds. The lyrics came to him in a flash, and right there on the subway, like Lincoln on the train to Gettysburg, he wrote out the song in nearly perfect fashion, along with a doodle or two in 15 minutes flat. A musician named Albert von Tilzer wrote the music. The song was performed live on stage shortly thereafter, and literally within days, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, or Barely Disguised Imitations, were being performed in other theaters by other performers. The three labels pressing records in those days, Edison Recordings, the Columbia Phonograph Company, and the Victor Talking Machine Company, all released versions of the same song. We have no reliable numbers on how many copies were sold, but we do know that 6 million copies of the sheet music were sold. That's one per 15 people in the entire U.S. at that time. The song, or at least part of it, was first known to be played at organized ball games in 1934. That year, Major League club owners and league presidents had adopted it as baseball's official anthem. Under that designation, Take Me Out to the Ball Game was played for Game 4 of the 1934 World Series, with the Gas House Gang St. Louis Cardinals lost 10-4 to the Detroit Tigers of Hank Greenberg, Mickey Cochran, and Charlie Geringer. 
After the game, none other than Grantland Rice remarked, Cardinal Ben played take me out to the ball game before the battle started. The way the Cardinals pitchers came and left, they should have played take me out of the ball game. <laughs> the famous refrain of the song is one of pop music's all-time great earworms. Instantly learned upon first hearing, which, if you're lucky, happens in the midst of a throng of baseball fans belting out the lyrics with gusto, if not necessarily technical artistry. But remember, Take Me Out to the Ball Game was never just a commercial jingle or an official anthem. It's a sing-along pop song, with a whole two verses beyond the eight lines that everybody knows. Here's the entire song, as sung by Edward Meeker for Edison Recordings in 1908. Katie Casey, singing, rooting, baseball-mad Katie Casey. Why do we always sing her words but never her name? Why do we forget? Luckily, not everyone does. In an article published in the baseball history journal Baseball, that's two words, and later on MLB.com, George Boswick, at that time chief music director for the New York Public Library for the Performing Arts at Lincoln Center, wrote... Although this memorable chorus of Peanuts and Cracker Jack is part of our national consciousness, the song's little-known verses tell a deeper story about a woman and her desire to be part of the rooting crowd. Her name was Katie Casey, and in 1908, she was affirmably baseball's biggest fan. The name of that article was Take Me Out to the Ball Game, the story of Katie Casey and her national pastime, and George Boswick agreed to speak on Truly the Goats about his findings on his deep dive into an American historical cultural artifact, the suffragette movement of the early 20th century, and the irresistible Trixie Friganza. What inspired you in the first place to sort of take on this research, to sort of delve into the the people behind the song? Right. Um... 
Well, I'm a big baseball fan. And when I was uh, working at the New York Public Library for the Performing Arts, everybody knew it. <laughs> so the head of the uh, exhibits at uh, the New York Public Library for the Performing Arts came to me uh, somewhere around in 2006 when I had just hired as chief of the music division. I, I worked at the library for 31 years. And uh, the last 11 years was uh, as chief of the music division. So I had just become chief of the music division. And she asked me, hey, you know, take me out to the ball game. It's going to be 100 years old in 2008. Would you like to do a major exhibit on it? I said, oh, sure. So basically, it was an exhibit about 100 years of music, musicians, and the national pastime. So it wasn't just about the song. It was really a panorama of baseball and the performing arts. And there are just amazing things, as we all know, in these major libraries like the Library of Congress and uh, the New York Public Library and other institutions in this country and around the world that have world-class collections. And I'm telling you, the stuff that, that uh, the New York Public Library had was just amazing relating to uh, baseball, music, theater, dance. And so that's what this was. This was a huge exhibit celebrating the song, Take Me Out to the Ball Game. And a small portion of this was devoted to suffrage, women's rights, and that sort of stuff. And that's what really got me going. After the exhibit, I started delving into it. I presented a paper at the Baseball Hall of Fame in 2009 on uh, Trixie Ferganza and the whole Jack Norworth thing and how uh, Take Me Out to the Ball Game was kind of a reluctant signifier, so to speak. For women's rights. <laughs> and, you know, that's how it got started. And I compiled more and more research. And around the time that my article first came out, it came out in a, in a scholarly journal called Baseball, A History of the Early Game. And it was edited by John Thorne, who's the uh, official historian for Major League Baseball. And he posted it uh, the following year in 2013 on his website. So it was around that time in 2012 that Trudy and I put together a program where we animated all this research about Katie Casey and uh, put it on at the New York Public Library. And it just took, took off from there. So that's, that's how that started. I want to ask you this too, George. I was looking at your website, and don't you do live show or a touring show or something? No, yeah. we do a live we do a live show. Um, we do a number of programs. Uh, one of them is on the song "Take Me Out to the Ball Game." the the um, The ensemble is called the Red Skies Music Ensemble, and it was founded in 2010 by Trudy Williams and myself. Trudy is the artistic director, and I'm the uh, curator. And um, we take the research from Take Me Out to the Ball Game, and we've animated it into about a 90-minute program. We've given the program a couple times at the New York Public Library. Last year, we gave it at the Library of Congress. And it, it's a huge hit. It just animates the whole concept of, of Take Me Out to the Ball Game and its connection to... Uh, a woman who wants to go to the game and how that is in itself connected to uh, the idea of suffrage and empowerment. And we presented it last year because the Library of Congress was closing out an exhibit on baseball and opening up an exhibit on suffrage. So they plunked us right in the middle between the two. It was perfect. 
It was really great. Yeah, it's really a great program uh, because we cover a lot, not just Take Me Out to the Ball Game, but there were a lot of songs, dozens and dozens of songs that came out right after Take Me Out to the Ball Game. And they were all about taking your girl to a game, which suddenly became the thing to do. But the problem with the other songs is that they did not have the message of empowerment that Take Me Out to the Ball Game had. Probably the most um, well-known song to me, anyway, was uh, a song called Take Your Girl to the Ball Game by George M. Cohan. And instead of a girl, a woman, going to a ball game and rooting like Katie Casey, being really knowledgeable about the game, Cohan's song is all about taking your best girl to the game she knows nothing about baseball. You're going to teach her all the rules of the game, and she's going to be grateful for you for the rest of her life that you introduced her to baseball. Not only that, she's going to marry you when you propose to her at the ballpark. So it's a very different kind of uh, setup with a woman at the ballpark. And after Take Me Out to the Ball Game, Cohan's song came within days after Take Me Out to the Ball Game was introduced. And this flood of other songs, they all seem to follow Cohan's lead. A guy taking his girl to the ballpark, and she's just dependent on him, and she's baseball crazy just like he is, and that sort of stuff. There, there's nothing along the lines of the message that is in Take Me Out to the Ball Game. You know, you've got Katie Casey, who knows all about baseball. She reads the base, reads the papers, and when her, her beau, her boyfriend, comes on a Saturday and asks her if she wants to go to a game, she says, no, 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 take me out to the ball game. That's what you can do. And uh, she gets to the ball game, and she's, she knows, she goes to all the games. She knows all the players' names. She tells the umpire that, that his call was wrong in a good, strong voice. She knows exactly what's going on. The team is in a jam. The score is two to two. And she knows exactly what she needs to do. She leads the boys in singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. She becomes part of the rooting crowd. And that's the beauty of Take Me Out to the Ball Game. It's this empowerment where a woman becomes part of the crowd. Lyrically speaking, for you, the important part of the song is the exhortation, is the fact that she's saying, let's do this, right? And that's the part the greater culture remembers about the song. Yeah, but the thing is, what the greater culture doesn't remember about the song is why we are singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game when we're already at the game. That question is being asked constantly. You know, and we're already at the game because Katie Casey is at the game. And the first time the song was ever sung at the game was when the fictitious Katie Casey sang it in the song. Let's talk about this. What kind of a girl, besides a baseball lover, is Katie Casey? And how would she have been viewed contemporaneously? How would she have been viewed in her time? Well, you know, I think she would have been portrayed exactly as a lot of modern women were being portrayed at that time, around the turn of the 20th century. 
this was the era of the new woman, someone who was active in the public sphere, someone who was probably employed, uh, someone who had um, advantages of perhaps uh, education. She was independent. She was um, perhaps athletic. You know, this this was definitely what Katie Casey to me was all about. She was this new woman that was part of the early 20th century. Someone who knew what she wanted to do, was very engaged with baseball. She loved it and wanted nothing more than to be at the game. And in fact, you know, when the song says, I don't care if I never get back, you wonder if that's a kind of suffrage association where she doesn't want to go back to the way things were. She wants to be in the ballpark, or she wants equal rights. So that's what I think Katie Casey's all about. She doesn't want to go back to the unfair, unequal world. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I actually first came to you, George, and I don't know, you got you got some good publicity for your recent work on your essay, I guess 2013, your essay, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, the story of Katie Casey and our national pastime, in which you reveal the results of your studies, which show that the inspiration for Katie Casey, our heroine, was actually a performer and comedian named Trixie Fraganza. Tell us about Trixie Fraganza. Well, her real name was Delia O'Callaghan, and Trixie Corganza was a real vaudeville star. She was also an active suffragist. You should Google her and get a picture of her. Do a search online and get a picture of her, because when you see the programs that are being aired this year, the 100th anniversary of the suffrage movement, her image pops up really frequently. She was very active as a suffragist. She gave speeches all the time. Uh, she was even uh, acknowledged by her employers, uh, George M. Cohan and Sam Harris. She was starring in a play in 1908 called The American Idea. And, and the producers of the play, Cohan and Harris, expressed in the paper their support for, for Ganza um, being an active suffragist. And that's pretty cool, you know, an active suffragist. And she and Norworth came into contact in Chicago in 1906. And let's just say that Norworth was infatuated with her. You know, that seems to be what was reported in the papers. There's, it's very difficult to find information about this, this affair that was in the papers. But Yes, yes, I experienced that. It, it, it did come to a head in the fall of 1907 when uh, there were newspaper articles to the effect that uh, Norworth's wife, uh, Louise Dresser, who herself was a very famous uh, actress, she was saying that Norworth is seeking a divorce from her so that he and Trixie Perganza could marry. So fast forward a couple of months to May 2nd, 1908. That's the day that Take Me Out to the Ball Game was registered for copyright. And that was right in the middle of what would have been their affair. So it stands to reason that it's, there's a good possibility that the independent woman that's portrayed in the verses of Jack Norwood's lyrics of the song certainly point to Trixie Ferganza. So you've got that. You've got the copyright of May 2nd when they would have been in the middle of this affair. And 
there are at least 30 known covers to the first edition of Take Me Out to the Ball Game. And Trixie Forganza is on two of them. So that, to me, is some evidence. We don't know for sure, but there's, there are pointers to the fact that Norworth's song may have been influenced by his affair with Trixie Forganza, the character Katie Casey. The presence of women at the ballpark in 1908 was not new, but it was still considered unusual. The increase in female attendance altered the informal, exclusive social club atmosphere and elicited considerable resentment from many men. Despite this, ball club owners eagerly exploited the idea of women at games, as it was commonly thought that the presence purified the game's nastier elements and would increase attendance by men who simply wanted an opportunity to be where women were. Take me out to the ball game certainly promoted the idea of women attending games. The song was indeed infectious, and you could get every word, but while the public may have been receptive to that idea in a song, in reality, getting every word would take some time. From George Boswick's essay. Just to get a bit speculative for a minute, it is said that Jack Norwood didn't see his first ball game until, you know, 20, 30 years after he wrote Take Me Out to the Ball Game. He probably saw Babe Ruth, actually, if he did. Why would it be important for that setting and this girl in this song? Why a ball game? Because Norwood said it himself. I was looking for a new song for my act, and why not a baseball song? So you have to remember that he told this story 50 years after the song was written. He told the story that he was riding a subway train and he saw a sign that said, Ball Game Today, Polo Grounds. And he said, I needed a song for my act at the Amphion Theater that night. And so why not a baseball song? It sounded like a good, good idea. So that's what he did. He created a song about a woman who loves baseball and wants nothing more than to go to the game. As somebody who really understands music like you do, what is it about this song? I mean, this song has been kept alive now, like viable, like people know this song for over 110 years now. What's the secret? Is there a chord structure? Is there a harmony going on? What, what's, what's going on with the song? Well, that's that's a really interesting question, and I would say yes to all of that. <laughs> and first of all, first of all, you know, unlike our, our our beautiful national anthem, which is a wonderful anthem, taking out to the ball game is easy to sing, and everybody knows it, and everybody can sing it. And it's a beautiful waltz, uh, three quarter time, and. It sort of embodies the democracy of the ballpark where everybody can come together to be part of the rooting crowd. Everyone wants to be part of that rooting crowd and participate in the national pastime to root, root, root for the home team. And these ideas of participation at the ballpark, singing the song together with the crowd, with the rooting crowd, these rituals are passed down from generation to generation, you know. So it's it's very important, and that's it's not surprising then that Happy Birthday, The Star Spangled Banner, and Take Me Out to the Ball Game are the three most performed songs. Right. And why not? You know, uh, The Star Spangled Banner is performed at the beginning of every game. It's 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 very important, 
and as is take me out to the ball game. It's it's a part of us all coming together. What sparked the idea for this podcast was I, I saw yet another article, the top 10 baseball songs of all time, top 20 baseball songs of all time. There are dozens, maybe a hundred of these things online, and not one of them has this song, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, in it. Now, I know it's 110 years old, so people want to call it a classic, but it was a pop song. Yeah. How come people yeah. don't think about it like that anymore? I just think that it's its associations with the game are just so strong. I don't, you know, I think people just take it for granted, you know, which is not, not such a good thing. But, uh, uh, but you mean to tell me that this is not listed in the top 10, top 20 baseball songs? Yeah. Yeah. Well, aside, aside from aside from center field, you know, by John Fogarty, what's considered a, a great baseball song? I can tell you what I think are great baseball songs. Well, it's but, usually um, it it's usually stuff like um, talking baseballs on there. Say hey, you oh, know yeah. the say hey Willie Mays yeah. song. Yeah. Uh, Jolt and Joe DiMaggio yeah, is on there. Yeah. One of my sure. personal favorites is yeah. Goodbye, Mr. Mm-hmm. Ball, Goodbye which is Bing Crosby, uh, uh-huh. Groucho Marx, and Hank Greenberg. But nobody knows this song anymore. Wow, I don't know that one. Oh, that's a good one. One of, uh, one of my favorites that we do in our Red Skies music ensemble programs is, uh, gee, it's a wonderful game. Oh, yeah. You know, Ring Lardner uh, co-authored that. It's such a wonderful song. Really great. Was Christy Columbus is what they tell me, maybe so. I don't know. There's only one Christy that I know at all. One Christy that I ever saw. He's the one who discovered the fadeaway ball. And he pitches for Muggsy McGraw. I've got one more question for you real quick okay i don't know if you can help me out with this but is katie casey related to mighty casey no <laughs> no i i can point to frank DeFord. Ah, he used to be okay, on national right? public radio i think i think he's written something along those lines and they are not related excellent all right well i thank you for the definitive the definitive answer on that sure. Sure. Okay, George Boswick, thank you very much for coming on to Truly the Goats this time. Thanks for all your excellent work. Where can people find some of your stuff, maybe uh, stuff about your live show and whatnot? Uh, you can go to uh, georgeboswick.com or you can go to the redskiesmusicensemble.com. Either one will take you to the page where you can locate uh, some of the programs we've done. We've not only done programs on Take Me Out to the Ball Game, we've also done programs on Emily Dickinson and music. And I am in the midst of writing a book on Emily Dickinson and music. And uh, maybe that's for another show, but when she was younger, she was quite the musician and collected a lot of sheet music. And that sheet music is in the uh, Dickinson collection of the Houghton Library at Harvard. And so I'm writing a book on uh, all the music that she collected and the significance of the music that she knew and heard and the um, concerts she saw and things like that. So we do a program, several programs on Emily Dickinson and have presented it to major organizations uh, around the place. And uh, so that's it. Thanks very much, George. You're very welcome.
from George Boswick's essay. When you can get away to the carefree atmosphere of the ballpark, the experience of singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game during the seventh inning stretch creates a magic of participation and belonging as memorable as the ball game itself. Jack Norwood's sensational baseball song unites players and fans, young and old, male and female, who still seek that common bond and restless urge like generations before them and the fictional Katie Casey to be part of the rooting crowd. Knowing what we now know about Take Me Out to the Ball Game, imagine that tangible moment that Katie Casey must have felt back in 1908, walking into the ballpark for the first time, taking in the atmosphere and thinking to herself, I don't care if I never get back. been the Truly the Goat Sports History Podcast, an inclusive medium production. Visit us online at trulythegoats.com and on Facebook and Twitter at Truly the Goats. Truly the Goats is also a member of the Sports History Network. Check out sportshistorynetwork.com, headquarters of sports yesteryear, for more like-minded podcasts. Music used in this episode of Truly the Goats includes Edward Meeker's version of Take Me Out to the Ball Game for Edison Recordings, which is in the public domain. Lyrics and song are available at trulythegoats.com slash take me out. Our theme song is Fun on Street, greatest remix of all time, and is produced by David Liso of Dynamo Stairs. Truly the Goats would like to thank Peter Boswick for joining this episode. George's essay, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, the story of Katie Casey and our national pastime, is still available online through mlblogs.com or direct link through tinyurl.com slash Katie Casey. This is Oz Davis for Truly the Goats and Inclusive Media. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy out there. And remember Katie Casey. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude. And I hope that you enjoyed this recent episode presented by the Sports History Network and were able to learn some good old-fashioned sports history knowledge nuggets. 
I started the Sports History Network back in 2020 with the mission to help podcasters find a community of like-minded sports history nerds, as well as helping aspiring podcasters to start their own shows. We have a little bit over 30 shows on the network right now covering all sorts of sports history, but as far as I'm concerned, we're just at the toothpick in the ocean moment, you know, that can't even figure it out because there's so much more coming. We wanted to create the ultimate headquarters for sports yesteryear, starting with Podcast Network and our website, but we're going to continue to move into other mediums as well. And here's the cool part, because we want you to be part of our team. So if you're interested in starting your own podcast, or maybe being a guest on one of our shows, or who knows, maybe even writing an article for us over on the website. Seriously, all you got to do is reach out to us on the contact page over at sportshistorynetwork.com. You can be as technologically savvy as a Neanderthal tapping on a stone trying to figure out this whole hieroglyphics thing back in the day. Again, it doesn't matter, because even if you don't understand the whole podcast space, we have a production team that can pretty much help you out with doing everything. All you gotta do, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com, head to the contact page, fill it out. That message goes right to me, and I'll reach out to you as soon as I can. But for now, dude, I'm through if you're through.